Welcome back to Gateways, a podcast about the people, places, and possibilities of our regional cities. I'm Ben Foreman, and I'm really excited about today's conversation on ranked choice voting. It's one of the most interesting and provocative we've had so far. It may leave you with more questions than answers, but I hope that it gives listeners a sense that there are solutions to the challenges we described in our Mass Forward research last month and earlier in the year on the report on local accountability that drilled down on school governance. Elected bodies will not always be representative of the full diversity of our gateway cities, but there are steps we could take that would make them much more diverse almost overnight. To help us explore how ranked choice voting would give underrepresented groups a seat at the leadership table, we're joined today by Howie Fain. Howie works for Voter Choice Massachusetts, the group pushing to get ranked choice voting in state elections passed as a referendum in November. But as a Worcester resident, Howie has a deep understanding of how ranked choice voting could be particularly beneficial for cities with governing bodies made up of multiple members. Welcome, Howie. Thanks, Ben. Hi. We met at an event when we released our Mass Forward research a couple weeks ago at the Boston Foundation. I think you were among several people who came um, from Worcester to join us. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this was just the week after local elections and a, a concern that, once again, very few people of color were elected mm-hmm. to the, the council and school committee in, in Worcester. And I'm sure we'll get deeply into that. But first, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this issue and the work you've done over the years? Sure. I um, live in Worcester, as you said, and I've uh, actually been into this type of voting reform for decades and was a co-founder of Fair Vote, the national organization promoting these reforms in 1992. And, and, and now you're working with Voter Choice Massachusetts. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about Voter Choice Massachusetts? Sure. Voter Choice Massachusetts um, came together right after uh, the state of Maine adopted ranked choice voting in November of 2016. That was an historic development moving it beyond um, various cities around the country and uh, really opening up the opportunities for statewide adoption. And um, a group formed pretty committed to making Massachusetts the second state in the nation to adopt it for state and federal elections and promote its use also in the cities and towns of the Commonwealth. Ranked choice voting is a really interesting thing to talk about because it's very simple in some regards, but in others it gets very complicated pretty quickly. Do you want to just start by... You know, the very general term, ranked choice voting, what does that mean? Sure. After you allow me to push back on the idea that it gets very complicated after that. It starts off simple and stays pretty simple in a lot of ways. Um, for the voters, it's the experience is voting for all the candidates um, that you want in the order that you prefer them. Number one for your first choice, two for your second, three for your third. It's the same thing we do in daily life all the time. We say what our first preference is and if that's not available – which is one of the issues in ranked choice voting, um, benefits of it. Uh, What's your second choice? So for voters, it's a very simple process. Rank them in order of preference, as many or as few as you wish. I think people get that when you're talking about electing a single person to Mm -hmm. an office, like your your mayor or your senator Mm -hmm. or the governor, um, and why why that has some advantages if you have a crowded primary, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, But here we're really talking about cities, and bodies that have multiple members, and so you have the potential to rank, to choose more than one person to fill an office, essentially. Is that- yes. Um, if there's multiple seats to be filled, then you can um, – there's candidates competing for them, and you look over those candidates. And as we just said, though, it's the same process. You rank them in the order of your preference, um, one for your first, two for your second, um, as many or as few as you want. And that also then gets used – in a slightly different way to determine who, who wins those seats on that council, those um, citywide seats. 
And I think most people at this point are familiar with the term ranked choice voting, but there's a really important distinction that we should probably get out right away here when you're thinking about it in the context of a city council or a school committee, because by definition, those bodies have multiple people who sit on them. So when you're choosing more than one person and you're using ranked choice to do it, um, operationally, it has different results. Yeah, yeah, yes, it does, but not necessarily. Um, a lot of the uses around the country and in some of the um, places in Massachusetts that are looking into it, or in fact just adopted it like East Hampton, are using it for single, what we call single winner offices, a single mayor or a district councillor. So the fact that the body has multiple people in it doesn't necessarily mean it uses the multi-winner form of ranked choice voting. Sure. I just mean, you know, people think a lot about the congressional race, right? Yes. Where you have all these candidates and yes. somebody's going to win with a very small percentage of the vote. Correct. And is, is winner-take-all really the best way to do it? And I think they understand the advantages mm-hmm. of ranked choice voting in that context. But when you're trying to build a body with multiple representations, yes. an approach that gets you to balance representation um, I th- is I th- what people in Worcester are thinking about and why it's so important to our Gateway City listeners to understand the advantages of that kind of system. Right. To help them understand it, um, many of the uh, school committees and many of the either all or parts of the city council are elected at large. And I think that's what you're referring to when they're elected on in the same election, filling three seats or five seats um, or, or seven or nine. Exactly. And um, so if you take those at-large seats – and you hold a single election to elect five or seven or nine, depending on that um, city council, yes, you can use ranked choice voting to elect them um, where voters rank the candidates in order of preference, and there is a method to get the most um, accurate representation of uh, who the voters actually favor to be sitting on that council, and that would be a multi-winner form of ranked choice voting. And that more less is what Cambridge does today, and some people are aware of Cambridge creating its council. That is exactly what Cambridge is doing. It has a nine-seat council elected citywide and a six-seat school committee um, elected citywide every two years. And they've been using a form of ranked choice voting that was then and is now still called in Cambridge proportional representation um, to determine the winners on those bodies, yes. And we can talk more about that in a moment, but Mm -hmm. what I think most people probably aren't as familiar with is that many of our gateway cities had this very same system in place. It was a progressive era reform designed to create better governance. Absolutely. Um, When Cambridge was the first in Massachusetts to adopt it in 1941, there were other communities, Lowell just two years later, Worcester um, uh, later in the the, the 40s, and and then others as well, um, adopting this exact form of ranked choice voting known as proportional representation. And it was coupled as part of Plan E, that um, brought in city manager government and used proportional representation, as was described in the statutes also, to elect their governing bodies. Yeah. And now, so, and this was an example of something we don't like to do, but Massachusetts essentially following New York. <laughs> New York had adopted this in the 30s to break the dominance of Tammany Hall. Yes, absolutely. That was a, that was a critical mo- moment in this growing movement around the country. Um, they took stock of... There's, the, you know, what their um, alderman situation looked like, and they moved to um, this form of proportional representation to elect all their city councilors, yes. And so we wanted to break up machine politics. I'm not so sure whether the idea by doing that was to get more diverse representation, but that's what did happen, in effect. Oh, that was absolutely a part of it. Um, diverse representation meant political 
diversity, um, not one party domination. It meant geographic diversity, not one side of town. It meant um, demographic diversity, that if people, to the extent people favored candidates um, who I, they identified with um, in whatever their own terms were, uh, they were often getting shut out by one system or another, district majorities or at-large block voting. And this was absolutely a reform committed to diversity on governing um, municipal bodies. And so we saw in Worcester and in Lowell, for example, that yeah. their, their governing bodies became more diverse almost overnight. It worked absolutely as intended. Um, the way the ranked choice voting works in these seats is it, it, it was designed to do it and it did it. Um, ethnic diversity, and I'll call it ethnic in the spirit of the times of the generally European you know, descent um, people in these cities that had been previously been excluded Found a, found a voice and a place on city council, yes. And, um, you know, some cities, there were kind of overtly racist uh, attempts to undo this because of that. And they clearly said that uh, governance in America had become un-American. Yes. And we should statutorily at the state level deny cities the powers to organize these ways. A- absolutely. If, um, if the listeners are wondering why the system is not in place in some of the places we're talking about now is because the the machine struck back and one of their um, weapons that they could use was the um, success in diversifying and there was there was backlash against that this was pre-voting rights act um, and whether it's Cincinnati in the 1950s over the successful election of African Americans um, yes uh, it worked it's it's sort of a badge of honor the fact that the system did what it was supposed to do and the um, retreat from it occurred under attack. Okay. And so just in the last few years when Lowell has been facing a lawsuit over, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, uh, a civil rights lawsuit over its structure of elections that has systematically denied people of color representation for a long time, yes. the complaint went back to this history and said you had a voting structure that was better and you took it apart intentionally. Yes, you're referring to the, 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 the complaint by um, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights um, that was filed on behalf of the plaintiffs. And yes, it said it worked. And um, not only did it work, the evidence it cited in that complaint was um, the clear ethnic bias and animus in a lot of the newspaper advertisements from the time at the repeal in 1957. And yes, the term un-American was used. That was part of the Cold War terminology, but the, it's hard to miss the implication with everything else that was being said about people voting based on their race only and serving only that interest, that it, that wasn't intended directly at um, other immigrant groups. Yes. And so you, you shared that with me, Howard. I took a look at that. One of the things you showed me that I hadn't been aware of, and I should have, was the analysis that was done by Moon Dukin mm-hmm. at Tufts, who's an expert on... Um, drawing districts and yes. electoral representation. Mm-hmm. And she had done some work for them that's, that kind of looked at how would you create a district structure that leads to more representation for people of color in Lowell. Mm-hmm. And it's a somewhat hard thing to do because uh, people of color in Lowell are actually fairly distributed across the city. They're not grouped into one neighborhood or another. But that's different for different groups, but the point is well made. Yes, that, that some um, groups, including one of the named plaintiff groups of people of Hispanic or Latino origin, um, are dispersed um, throughout the city. And therefore, harder to district under the terms of the decree 
the agreement that said majority minority districts would be created. Yes. And so, uh, a proportional representation system mm-hmm. is, I think you called it, kind of a district without a, a district system. There's no actual line, but it allows yeah. different constituencies that are sm- smaller than a majority in a community to actually gain a seat. It's not a winner-take-all. To pool their votes from wherever they live. Yes, we call it districts without um, districting, or voters create their own districts through their votes. That's absolutely correct. Um, That you don't have to be geographically centered, or some might say geographically segregated, in order to use your voting power under this ranked choice voting system to elect a candidate of your choice, even um, wherever you live. Yeah, and I read that with a lot of interest because I think we we often think that the best solution is a district-based system. It allows all neighborhoods equal representation. Mm-hmm. But a, a neighborhood isn't the only thing a community is interested in seeing well represented. You might be wanting parents with children to be represented well or an ethnic community to be represented well or you know, any sort of any group issue. of people with a common interest. Any issue, common interest. And I think that point gets across when you say we're, we're, we're – I'll agree that we're accustomed to districts. And you watch when election, election season comes around, whether it's in a city, whether it's a state rep district, congressional or governor, you'll see that that neighborhood or that area or that district is not uniform in its positions just by looking at the lawn signs. When you drive down the street a single block, you'll notice the different interests, the different perspectives. And so, yes, this, these citywide elections – using ranked choice voting that allow people to pool their votes effectively and gain a seat, that says um, we're going to capture that diversity and not assume it's all based uniformly in this district or that district. You show me a good example of this, a data from the city of Cambridge, where there are candidates who get lots of votes from their neighborhood. Yes. And then there are other candidates who cobble together votes from neighborhoods all around the city, presumably by appealing to some common interest in each of those neighborhoods. There's a full spectrum. And uh, yes, there are candidates with very strong geographic bases. And there are candidates that run strong, um, uh, equally uh, and strong across the city. These are the winning candidates we're talking about that I showed you. And so yes, and when you look at the map I showed you there, it's geographically diverse, spread out through the city. And when we construct the maps from these other cities in Massachusetts that used it based on the residential addresses of the councilors, we see, without any district lines being drawn, fair distribution throughout the city. That is one factor voters clearly use, as are all the other factors. So Lowell did the admiral thing, and they sought to solve this problem rather than litigate. Yes. And so they worked on six kind of different potential solutions. Yes. And two of them went before the voters. One of them was a traditional sort of district at large structure, and the other was uh, uh, ranked choice voting with proportional representation. The voters ended up going with the more traditional structure. That is correct. Um, yes. And so the, um, it, to replace by settling the litigation, you're absolutely right, um, the six were narrowed down to two choices. And uh, one, exp- uh, one system was called a hybrid. It expanded the council from 9 to 11 and created eight districts and three at-large seats from the ni- what had been all nine at-large. And then the other option was the um, citywide proportional representation system. They, they were put in a non-binding question, and um, more people favored what you're calling the traditional you know, districting solution or remedy to the voting rights situation. Yes. 
Um, in fact, though, just about half the people favored, you know, expressed interest and in, in, in support for the proportional representation option. But it was clearly a win-win situation for the plaintiffs and the community that wanted a change from this exclusionary block voting system that was used. And, uh, yeah, that's how the um, preferences came out in the vote. And, you know, I think understandably that was a pretty complicated, sensitive time to to take on a very different voting format under the threat of a lawsuit. There are other communities in Massachusetts that have had the luxury of just pursuing this innovation on their own volition, right? Yes. And they're choosing to move towards a proportional representation system. I think uh, Amherst is one of those communities. Amherst um, uh, just voted in March of 2018 after a charter commission issued a report um, recommending they use ranked choice voting for what will be their new town council. They're actually um, on a separate question, parallel track, choosing to move from town meeting to town council. And in doing so, they're going to have some at-large seats, and even their district seats are going to elect two at a time per district. And so you're absolutely right. They'll be using ranked choice voting, but the former ranked choice voting they'll be using will be this proportional system within the two-seat districts and with the three at-large seats. And they also have a five-member um, five um, school committee, I believe, and a six-member uh, advisory board um, all be using ranked choice voting. Okay. And, um, and their neighbors in East Hampton, it sounds like, are doing something similar? East Hampton uh, adopted just this past November on Election Day. The voters affirmed uh, what the city council had submitted to the state legislature, which itself agreed to it, um, ranked choice voting for its mayor and its uh, district councilors. Yes. East Hampton did it with a charter change, special re- legislation that required a, a vote from the legislature. Correct. But the path that Amherst took, I wasn't aware of this, Yes. didn't have to go before the legislature at all. They could handle it all within their own community, their own. Yes, there are two tracks. There are um, two charter change, and these stem from the um, 1966 Home Rule Amendments to the Massachusetts Constitution that got codified into law as well. And they say, um, yes, you can, as before, request a charter change. Um, and and it, whereas before these also, you were limited to that alphabet soup of, of options, A, B, C, D, and you know, of course we're talking plan E. So it broadened the options and said you can still c- submit something to the legislature for action and requiring a public vote like just happened in East Hampton. But those, um, those procedures also include charter commission. It's a elected charter commission, nine-seat commission, has a prescribed 18-month sequence and with uh, getting testimony and input and draft reports and final reports and, and then submitting it to your voters. Amherst, you're absolutely correct, did use that charter commission route. Um, they had a lot of questions to take on. They published a final report, put them before the voters, and the voters approved the package, including ranked choice voting. For instance, Worcester used an elected charter commission before its move in 1987 away from nine at-large council when they established their hybrid system of six at-large councilors and five districts. So that was also a charter commission. So essentially the voters elect commissioners to the charter commission – the commission holds these hearings, puts proposals before the voters, yes. and they adopt them within this 18-month time span, and then that's it. That's Pres- presto, it's done. The legislature has no role. That's, no. that's how the amendments were designed, yes. So what is the appetite? I mean, I think people in Worcester today are deeply concerned about the state of representation in the community, especially at the school committee where you have no people of color in a school system that's majority students of color. Yes. What's the appetite in Worcester to... 
form another charter commission and develop a model that uh, well, is- there there may not be appetite for the charter commission, which yeah. is opening up larger things, but it's certainly one's hearing a lot more reference these days to the continued um, problem with diverse representation or lack of on the school committee. And in the original charter commission from 80, um, in, in 87, 86 leading into 87, they left the school committee at large while creating these district hybrid system at large and hybrid for um, council. Just like two-thirds of the Massachusetts cities that we've looked at um, still are continuing, no matter what their city council looks like, with only at-large school committees. So this is looming as a larger issue in terms of fairly representing the community. And I think in the wake of Lowell, and that includes Worcester, um, looking at this and saying, should we we be re-examining this? Whether it's through a charter commission or whether it's saying, let's put some – put something before our own voters after we get a special act from the um, legislature and move quickly on it. Yeah, I can tell you, Howard, that the reason why we did the Mass Forward research was because last year we looked at school governance mm-hmm. and we saw that two-thirds of our Gateway City School Councils are all at large. Um, and I think something like we found less than, maybe it was f- less than 10% or maybe it was 14% of school committee members are non-white. Mm-hmm whereas 60-something percent of students are non-white. Um, you know, there's many gateway cities that have school c- committees that are all white men, mm-hmm. or not many, but a few, mm-hmm. you know, in school systems that are 80% women and 60% students of color. That, you know, in the literature and education policy, is very clear that if you don't have a diverse governing body, you don't have a diverse administration. If you don't have a diverse administration, you don't have a diverse teacher workforce, and then student achievement suffers as a result. So... We, we, we very clearly saw the problem there. Uh, and just going back to the very beginning of our Gateway City economic development work, I think one of the clear uh, concerns was you cannot move a city forward into the 21st century if you don't have a unified vision for what that city is going to be. And so a lot of people were racking their heads with, why couldn't everybody agree on <laughs> what our city should be? Um, and lo and behold, you start to think a little deeper. Mm-hmm. If your electoral... Uh, systems aren't creating representative bodies, uh, it's going to be really hard to get people on the same page. It is. And I I think I should probably just add now, um, I just retired uh, less than a year ago um, as a public school teacher in Worcester. And uh, we note that. And so I know the school system um, pretty well. And uh, But what you also described when you found two-thirds are elected at large, that's why this is suspect under the Voting Rights Act. That's why Lowell suit was filed and effective. Um, it's called block voting, where a majority of voters can use all of their allotted votes. Like in Worcester, you walk into the booth. For six seats on the school committee, you get six votes. And that's called plurality block voting. And I don't want to focus on technical stuff, but to think about what that term block means. And that has often meant a majority block of white voters have used their allotted voting power to exclude um, uh, voters who favor other candidates, specifically candidates of color, in, in many elections throughout the Commonwealth in these gateway cities. That's why at-large is suspect under the Voting Rights Act, and that's why um, the ranked choice voting proportional representation option really needs to, to be more on the agenda of these cities. I'm looking to fix this problem. 
So there's a local option bill before the legislature now yes. that would make it easier for cities to move to this kind of voting structure? Yes. We described those two processes that cities can use. This would make it even easier. It's local option bill, and it's um, uh, uh, Senate 420 and House 635, and it would um, streamline the process um, by – it would freeze in place your local structure. For instance, if Worcester has six city council at large and five um, districts and six at large school committee, without changing or reexamining those numbers, you could simply convert your elections to ranked choice voting uh, for the single districts, for the at large, run them citywide under ranked choice voting, proportional voting. And all you would do is you can do that by ordinance. You can do it by ordinance and ratified by vote. It would be all the city's choices. The legislature would not be involved. And you could simply facilitate this process quickly. With the majority vote? With the majority vote, yes. Okay. Um, now, I'm sure many people are aware that ranked choice voting is going to be on the ballot in the fall. But that's different than what we're talking about now, what that will pertain. Yes. With the local option bill we just described, um, describes, well, an option for cities to adopt it. The bill that you're describing that um, is, is both a bill in the legislature and a um, ballot question that voters should expect to see on the 2020 ballot would implement ranked choice voting along, in the same ways, along the same lines that Maine just did, um, and it would implement it for state and federal office um, elections held in Massachusetts. And that's been a pretty kind of visible debate Mm -hmm. And many people have said they're concerned about moving to ranked choice voting because they actually think it would undermine the candidacies of people of color. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the reason why they believe that is because people with more resources to have more name recognition are more likely to at least get a second choice vote. Is any sense of that? Or? Well, that yeah. I mean, I've heard that type of argument. It, it falls really short and really flat, and I've heard it referenced in terms of the um, – um, this Congressional District 3, you know, primary that was held, um, the evidence points in exactly the opposite direction and that ranked choice voting, wherever it's being used, is used um, to facilitate access to be on the ballot and to uh, um, effectively run and, 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 and win in um, these races. So uh, I take the, the story is not that. And um, we can discuss that another time in great detail. There's lots of evidence supporting an alternative view on that. But um, one of the yeah. most recent pieces of evidence that we looked at pretty carefully, I didn't, my colleague uh, Peter Levine knows this better than I, but mm -hmm. there was a recent study of the city of Chicago mm -hmm. that analyzed what would happen if you moved their alderman structure mm -hmm. to proportional representation ranked choice. And I think you worked on that a little bit. I did. Or, I contributed to that report on some of the RCV components. Yes. In... That has gotten a lot of attention. What did they find? They found that right now um, the Chicago City Council is composed of 50 ward, um, 50 individual districts. It's a very large city council, and the report also addressed a possible move to um, reduce that to, to 30. But independent of that question, what they found is that diversity on the council would be much enhanced by moving to five-member districts. In other words, if you take those 50 single districts right now and you make 10 districts, each electing five, uh, five um, councillors under this 
ranked choice voting proportional system, that diversity for multiple groups would increase in the city of Chicago. And that was looking primarily at um, Asian Americans, um, Latino, Hispanic, and African Americans, and white um, residents, and people of color in all those three communities of color would increase their representation with this move to the ranked choice voting in multi-member districts. You know, I think one of the, the most glaring findings of the report was the lack of people of color in the state legislature, the lack of people of color in the leadership of the state legislature. You're referring now to the Mass Forward report. In our report, yes, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I, to get at that is going to take a systemic approach. Mm-hmm. And I think one of our concerns is that people might find ranked choice voting as a cure-all. Um, and it's certainly not that, but it does seem like it has a lot of power, particularly if it could make a difference in the gateway cities who are the most underperforming in terms of being diverse places but not sending diverse representatives to the state legislature. Right. Um, there, the Massachusetts legislature is underrepresented, representative of lots of people, as you noted in your report. Um, ranked choice voting is the best means to get at accurately reflecting the will of the voters. And uh, yes, it would have a great impact. And it's uh, something we hope the voters will strongly consider. And we expect that they'll approve this in November 2020. When we're thinking about making sure that people who are minorities, in the sense of numerical minorities, Mm -hmm. people of color in some communities, Republicans in some communities, have a voice on an elected body, even if they don't have the majority of votes, this system is night and day better, if that's your objective, to ensure that different groups of people have voice. The system is designed to give that voice and to ensure both majority representation and ensure that a majority of seats go to a majority of you know the voters' preferences, but to ensure minority representation. Um, Yes, that's exactly the purpose, and that's what it's accomplished. That's what the history shows in all the cities we're talking about. It still shows it in Cambridge. When we talk about Lowell um, having diverse um, representation of, of the various ethnic um, minorities of the time, that's how, it, that's how it happens when communities of interest can pool their votes and reach the threshold for election, which we can talk about, uh, they win a seat. Yeah, I mean, you told me this astounding fact um, a moment ago about how in Cambridge, for the last 50 years, the elected body has been representative of the demographics of the population. Oh, absolutely. Um, the first African-American in um, Cambridge was elected in 1963 at a time when the population in the city was 5.3%. Now, I want to say... 5.3% African-American. African-American, yes. And I want to say proportional representation means proportional to votes one, not to population but at that time, yes, the first African-American um, was elected. And it was interesting because the newspaper article of the time, at the time contrasted that with the racial strife going on and the election of Louise Day, Day Hicks to the city council in Boston right across the river in 1963. That diversity of representation, people of color in Cambridge, has pretty much tracked population since 1963 um, continuously. And now people of color are... Um, one-third of the city council in the city which, in which they constitute 35.9% of the population and similar numbers for the school committee. In fact, the first um, African-American school committee member was elected um, in 1959 in, in Cambridge. 
and it's been continuously tracking population since then, not because there's a rule that it tracks it, but because that's how the voters have expressed their preferences. I mean, one concern that people of color have is that if you're from, if you're a new American and you're not accustomed to voting at all, mm -hmm. and now you're going to vote in a system that has more complexity, that you might be underrepresented because of that. Hmm. Um, as we discussed, the, the voting is, is simple. And uh, people are used to, um, there's, there's any number of complexities when you go to vote. You have a district councilor, let's say, in many of these cities, and an at-large councilor. Uh, you have to navigate those and the messages you're getting about who's running for which. You have um, strategic considerations. Some people are telling you to bullet vote. Uh, don't waste your vote. Vote for, you're allowed four votes in Boston, but it's, you know, only, you know, you'll, you'll help your candidate if you only vote for these two. Uh, these are all strategic considerations that make voting complicated for voters. Under these ranked choice voting systems, including the multi-winner that we're talking about for the city at large elections, all you do is rank. You do understand, in order of preference, you do understand that you can't waste your vote. You can't even waste your vote under these systems for someone who might have more than needed to win one seat under the system. Um, and What do you mean by waste your vote? Uh, have it um, be counting for someone um, who doesn't need it to be elected. Either that might be someone who doesn't have enough and is eliminated under the ranked choice voting system for, you know, as in, in a round as, as they're the last place candidate um, versus someone who – don't waste your vote on the very popular candidate who's going to you know, really clean up the number of votes. You can, under this system, you can actually vote for your first choice candidate. And if they have more than is needed to win one seat under this ranked choice voting system in these um, citywide races, some of their vote total will transfer to voters' second choices and, and help and elect like-minded like candidates. And that's where really the math of this yeah. lies, right? Yeah. It's in allowing people to dramatically lower the total number of votes they need to win a seat. That's the key to the, uh, the, the citywide RCV elections that we're talking, the proportional systems used in Cambridge, previously used in these other cities like Lowell and Worcester, um, and, and hopefully to be used again. There's a threshold established for election. It's meant to be um, a, a, a line that says if you have these number of votes from people anywhere in the city, you can win one seat. It's based on the number of votes cast and the number of seats to be filled. To give you an example of how it would have worked in Lowell, the situation which, um, we were just talking about in resolution of that voting rights case, um, the threshold uh, is – think of it as, as one-ninth to win one of the nine seats. You don't need more than that, but you need at least that to win one of those nine seats. You can't waste it on someone who's going to have way more than that. It will transfer, you know, a, a fraction of your vote value will go to help someone, a like-minded candidate. Or if you took your chance on your first choice with someone who is a real long shot and they don't make it, they get dropped from the bottom, just like in any ranked choice voting election, your vote will transfer with its full value to your second choice and help them try and get closer to that threshold. The important point about this, and we've seen this play out, is when there's open seats and there's competition within minority communities, people, communities of color. Um, there's often an um, effort to make sure people drop out so they don't split the votes. They don't, they don't act as spoils within their community. The ranked choice voting system takes care of that. 
you have five people competing for what you hope is the strength to win one seat, maybe two, all five compete for that community's support and votes. And the process makes it so that if you have enough votes to win one, you win one. If you can get up to that second, you'll do it. But you don't have to worry about competition within a community of interest. Yeah, and one of the things you told me, again, that was pretty amazing to me is that one of the critiques of of this approach in Cambridge, which has been spoiled to have it for so long, yeah. is that too many people run, which is, I mean... Can't happen. God forbid we had that problem everywhere. Absolutely. Well said. Let me, let me give you one example. There was some hand-wringing in 1989 when longtime counselor and um, state representative Sandra Graham retired from the council. And she had held the seat for a long time as an African-American. And there was all this worry. All right, five people were stepping up to run, five African-Americans. And this was still at a time when the population was not significant of African-Americans, and they might split the vote. Well, they were using the, the logic from other voting systems. There was no such concern. The five ran, and eventually someone was, an African-American was elected to represent, uh, be representative on the, on the council. But what's fascinating about those numbers, Ben, is that four of them ran on a, a slate known as the you know, Cambridge Civic Association, and um, one ran as independent. And while there was some clear racial pattern to, you know, the, you can observe through the transfers that took place when people dropped out, um, for the most part, it was far greater loyalty within the Cambridge Civic Association slate versus, you know, across uh, African-American candidates who weren't on that slate. So the end result was the same, is that uh, there was an African-American elected to the council, but the community that favored um, such candidates were able to make their choices known through their ranking process without any fear of splitting their votes and costing the seat. And that's a great lesson for ranked choice voting. We really appreciate you, all your passion and the work you've done on this and uh, look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Ben. This discussion of ranked choice voting gets you into math, and I'm loath to do that on the podcast. But just after thinking some more about the conversation and some of the things we left out, I think it's appropriate to do a little bit on that. Proportional representation gets you representation of groups who make up less than a majority of voters because winning just one-ninth of the votes is enough to win one seat on a nine-seat body, for example. A majority will still have a majority of the seats. They just won't garner all of them as is so often the case today with all at-large structures. Gateway cities like Haverhill or Fall River, which have nine-seat all-at-large councils, could make their leadership ranks more diverse just by making this one structural reform. The same principle applies for school committees. To get elected to the school committee in Fitchburg or New Bedford or Worcester, you'd need one-sixth of the vote. The threshold for election is simply based on the number of seats, one-ninth for a nine-member body, one-sixth for a six-member body, and so on. Of course, this wouldn't solve everything that ails us, and that's why the Mass Forward Report recommends other complementary changes. But it's a practical and actionable solution to a problem that can no longer be ignored. That's it for this week's episode of Gateways. I'm Ben Foreman. Our episode was produced by Limby Gormley. Music by Worcester's own, the Curtis Mayflower. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.